No matter how long we record for? Oh, I guess not, because you clicked the button. I clicked the button. So growing up, I was, I say out in the middle of nowhere, it was in a little tiny town called Norburn, Missouri. And just to give you an idea, the town was a farming community, and there were, on average, 700 people that lived in that town. Mm, Okay, that's small. Yeah, we lived three miles outside of town and up on a hill where there's a big valley below. You could see about a mile, mile and a half in just about every direction. And within that range, there was one house you could see. And that's what I grew up with. And then through the journey, ended up in Buffalo, Minnesota. And here I am with a third of an acre and I feel suffocated. <laughs> okay, I got to get out of the city at some point. It's I'm, I'm one that I prefer to live in the country, but I'd like to come back into the city when I want. But I'd, I like to be about five miles removed. <laughs> yeah, I get that. You ever heard of a book called um, Stoner by John Williams? Stoner? Nope. I've been through a lot of books lately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I do know that from your other podcast, but <laughs> right. Actually, funny enough, I have it right here on this bookshelf. There's a book I read last year called Stoner that was really good. I think you might enjoy it. It's a book. I think it's mm, at least 50 years old at this point. I'm not sure when it was published, but it's about a, a young man who grows up in the world of farming and his parents send him to college uh, to go to the College of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. And as he's there, he starts realizing that he doesn't want to go to college for agriculture. He wants to go and learn about the English language and literature. And um, kind of about this person's journey from being a rural person to being a learned person. But it's a whole book about how those two things don't necessarily, you know, they're not, they're not contrarian. You can be rural and you can be uh, educated at the same time. And you can feel isolated from people who don't ever have the same experiences as you. It's, it's a sad book. I'm, I'm telling you, this is not like a, this is not a happy read. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it's a powerful book. And um, I think it's something that we forget a lot as people who grow up in big cities and only know people in big cities that, you know, not only is that not the, the shared experience for everyone in the United States, but it's not the desired experience for a lot of people. Um, and it seems like you're, you're one of those, those types that likes to be a little out of the grid. Yeah, I, I think that's primarily just growing up that way. But at the same time, we, I can drive 20 minutes and be in not the heart of, but in the, the very outskirts of uh, the Twin Cities. So, you know, you, you let me drive 45 minutes and I'm in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Definitely a large city there in comparison to the big booming metropolis of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, the big <laughs> booming metropolis. And that's been a strange thing for me, too, is I'm only... Uh, three hours, four hours away from San Francisco and Sacramento. So anytime that I need my my shot of city life, <laughs> I just I just take the drive and and spend the day there. That's true. You can do that. You don't have kids, right? I don't have kids. Yeah, I just leave whenever I want and do whatever I want. It's a strange thing. I was sitting here thinking, like, oh, that must be nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a great a great phase of life that I try to take. Um, you know, not for granted every single opportunity because uh, yeah, it's going to change. So then. How often do you go south then? Oh, dude, all the time. All the time, man. I'm just <laughs> all right. Like, like once a week or once every couple of weeks or something like that. I just really, wow. Just go and go somewhere else. Yeah. So it's nice. been, that, that's been the secret to me transitioning from a big city to a smaller city. I'm not saying that I'm in a rural area because I'm not, but it's just go, going back to the big city every once in a while and eating a, eating at a good restaurant or something like that. It's, it's important to me. Nice. So yeah, well, tell me, tell me a little bit about this. I, I'd love to know, we definitely have different experiences growing up. So I think that it's, it's safe to say that technology is like a big part of your life. You work as the director of IT. Right. Yep. So when did that start? How did you end up loving technology as someone who grew up uh, in a more rural environment? 
Yeah, and something I'm learning lately, Drew, is that the journey I've had with technology is really, it's really a self-awareness journey and trying to figure out how it can, I don't, I don't want to say augment because that's a very cliche term at the moment, but how can it help me with the things I like to do in life? Yeah. And a lot of what I've been on a journey with technology, like how that has played out has been purely my interests. And I'm one of those lucky guys who's managed to to have a career and uh, a series of jobs that plays directly into my interests and kind of, I don't want to say dream job, but something very similar to that, where as my interests change with how I operate with, especially things with websites, as my interests change, it my job kind of morphs with that. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, it all started when I was in, oh, gosh, probably a freshman in high school. That would have been 2001, 2002, somewhere in that range. My dad installed an auto steer, what they call an RTK system, on a tractor. Okay. That was his planter tractor. Now, for the rest of the world, that stands for real-time kinematic, which is a translation for... The tractor drives itself and puts the planter within an inch of where it's supposed to be. That's okay. what it does. So it's self-driving autonomous tractor. This is <laughs> well before self-driving cars and Tesla at this point. So that was a, a situation where, okay, we've got this in the tractor. I was fascinated by it and wanted to learn how it worked. And that kind of kick-started me with tech. It was like that kind of got me to a point where I was like, oh, this stuff can do things for me. Right. I like it when things can do things for me. <laughs> so that kickstarted some of that, and I eventually ended up going to school. I ended up teaching some of my professors. I went to school for ag business after a bout with engineering. I uh, got an ag business degree, but was definitely good at using computers to help me with a lot of my schoolwork. This was pre, at least in the Midwest, this was pre the big push to use computers in and as schooling. So we were kind of on the forefront of that. Out of school, I got into some soybean breeding, and with soybean breeding, there's a lot of databases, and you you tend to want to try to aggregate a lot of data with it. Translate that to working corporate, I was doing some heavy web development there, then I did some marketing stuff for another virtual company, but in each of those scenarios, what I found was that I was getting deeper and deeper into building websites and running data algorithms on those and trying to basically trying to make things happen that I didn't know were possible or no one thought was possible. Right. And it's interesting how that plays into, you know, I use a lot of that stuff for my own personal uses. I have, even on my own website, I've got a whole, a couple subdomains of websites that people don't even know exist (laughs) purely so that I can tie my own APIs together and get things to work. Mm. So this is why I can't go iPad only, Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. It doesn't work. (laughs) All right, I understand. Uh, Like, we're we're only a few minutes in and you're already taking a pot shot at iOS, I see. You have to. Yeah, okay. That's that's fair. So, I mean, soybean breeding, Mm -hmm. that was what you did after college? Yep, yep. So, I mean, was that something that your, your family was already doing or is that something that you decided to do yourself? No. So my family, mostly it's my dad. My mom was a homemaker. And then my dad, he was running a 4,000 acre corn and soybean farm. So your dad was a farmer, capital F farmer. Yep. He was the Mm -hmm. deal. And I drove a lot of tractors. I was driving tractors by the time I was eight. I drove a semi when I was 12. (laughs) So I've got a class A CDL. I can go drive semis up and down the road right now if I wanted to. 
So, do you ever want to play uh, what's that game called? Uh, like American Truck Simulator or whatever those games. Oh, are? CGB <laughs> Grey and Mike Hurley are big on that, and I just I look at it and laugh like, really? What do you think about games like that? It what do you makes think about zero that? sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> like, really, you're gonna go simulate? Yeah, for your leisure time. Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, it's not leisure. Not leisure. It's just not. If you're ever in one of those things and drive it for real, that is so ludicrous. Like, it's not. <laughs> okay. It, it's not relaxing. So I know that what you're not doing on your time off exactly. is uh, playing those games. I will not okay, be cool. doing that. Not even close. So you have driven those before. Have I driven one before? Yeah, yeah. Like the simulator or the real thing? No, no the real thing. Oh, yeah. I've got. Uh, what have I got? <laughs> I, I appreciate that the question was so ludicrous to you that you couldn't even... Of course yes, I have. Of yeah, course, we all, yeah. <laughs> I probably put a couple thousand hours in a semi or better. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's the way it works. If you're on a farm, you're pulling these 53-footers. You got an 80,000-pound truck you're driving. All right. So your dad was a farmer, so then you grew up doing that kind of stuff. Yes. And then you started breeding soybeans. Yeah, that's an interesting process. You dissect one flower and put it on another. Have you ever seen a soybean flower? I don't know if I have or not. Should I look Super one up? Super tiny. They're like a quarter of an inch wide. All right, hold on. Soybean flower. Let's see. You got to put this in the show notes. Okay. Okay, yeah. I see it. I see it. Okay, it's it's very small. Itsy bitsy. You got to use little tweezers to do it. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and then you, you breed them and you make more soybeans? Yes. You come up with new traits, new lines. I was working with a couple hundred thousand different lines of soybeans. Wow, that's crazy. And that was a really small <laughs> small area too. So uh, this this might sound obtuse, but I'm, you know, just trying to kind of understand it. So I mean, you know, when I think of farming, I think of like old Americana 1950s farming. But when you grew up, that's not the case anymore. I mean, no. you know, technology has progressed, things have gotten gone in a different way you have a you have a tractor or whatever that's driving itself around the farm so i mean it's not a stretch for someone who's in that kind of environment to love technology because you know i would say that it might be true that you would have to rely on it even more than someone who lives in a large city because it's it's part of your livelihood is that right i know farmers who hire a computer tech really and the computer techs run the tractors interesting (laughs) there are more like you you think of take a typical 15-inch MacBook Pro screen. Mm -hmm. I have been in tractors where there are about six or seven of those types of screens inside the tractor cab. Gotcha. So it's it's become this highly specialized thing where technology plays a huge role. But but you, at some point, moved out of the world of farming and into the world of pure technology. Yeah. So I've been running a blog for a couple, three years now, and though I haven't written for it lately. Somebody needs to slap me into shape on that. But all right, I'll start reminding you every morning. Oh, I should have kept my mouth shut. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I I started doing that and found out I'm really good at tech just in the broader space, not just in agriculture. Because I was doing a lot of tech stuff in ag for a long time because I figured out that I was good enough at it. Plus, having the farm boy background made me a very valuable resource to a lot of the ag corporations. So I used to work for Syngenta. I worked with. Uh, as a consultant for Monsanto and John Deere and Pioneer. So I I know a lot of those guys and I've worked in those industries. I will not condone everything they do, so don't even start down that path. Right. <laughs> but I I definitely disagree with them in a lot of cases, but I also know that if I come at it the right way, I can try to help them. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And now, and now you're here. Yeah, so somehow I got here, but I, I did figure out that with the ag space and then stepping outside of that, because here about... It's going on two years ago, I went out on my own and started doing my own thing. 
and I figured out that I was good enough at it to do it without specializing in ag. And I figured if I'm good enough to do that, I'm going to keep running with it. It seems to pay pretty well at the moment, so I'm not going to argue with it. Do you ever uh, do you ever just want to get back out on the farm and just get your hands dirty? So every spring, whenever the green stuff starts to come up, I have a very hard time turning on the computer. Really? Interesting. Yeah, it is beat into me that when spring or fall comes around, I just feel like I'm supposed to be in the field somewhere, and I don't have a field to go to, Drew. <laughs> yeah, strange. They're expensive. Good grief. Not going to be a, a part-time hobby, to be sure. No, not without all kinds of venture capital at this point. Hmm. Well, that's interesting, man. I mean, that's a, that's definitely a, a journey that many people don't find themselves on. And I find that a lot of people wish they had been a farm kid. Yeah. I don't know why that... Maybe that's because I'm in the Midwest, but... It seems like a lot of people wish they had grown up on a farm, and I can't tell you why. Would you not trade that experience? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. There's something about it. I don't know. It 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 changes the way you think of things for some reason. Yeah. Maybe it's a work ethic. Couldn't tell you what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, well, that's that's another question for me is, you know, I, I've known you for a couple of years now on and off and just kind of following your online journey. And it's been clear that, you know, productivity is something that's important to you. And there seems to be this little subsection of the web that cares about productivity and is thinking about it and, you know, the GTD methods and to-do lists and tasks and all of that good stuff. And is that something that you find yourself drawn towards on a natural basis? Or is that something that you kind of put in your life because you feel like you need it? I am drawn toward it because I suck at it. <laughs> okay, yeah. So so you're not one of these people that just, you know, is so passionate about it and just loves it and just everything slots into place. You're more of the, I'm not going to get any work done without this stuff type. So about a year ago, I was told that I was ADD. And that's, I think, why I've been drawn to it because I need all these things to help me stay on track. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's bad if I don't. If I, if I get, like, take for example, so I'm a big OmniFocus fan. If I... If I set that aside and try to go about a month without using it, I will be behind on every single project, will probably complete none of them, and be angry with everything. (laughs) It just doesn't go well. So I know better. I I have to stick to the systems and and focus on trying to be productive. Otherwise, it, it leads to bad things. I feel like there'd be quite a few systems on a farm, though. You can't get away with having a bad work ethic. And it's different because with a farm, you can look out the door... You can step out on the farm and you can see what needs done. Mm-hmm. Like, it's different because it's not intellectual. Okay, I'm looking at this. The tractor is out of gas or out of diesel. Like, I need to I need to refuel it. Like, duh. Like, this is, it's not rocket science. But with the intellectual stuff, you can't, you can't see it. I can't tell you just from looking around where I'm at on the 12 websites I'm working on. I can't tell you that. I'd have to go look it up, pull up each one of them and figure out where I'm at on each one of them. I can't just look at it and tell you. So it's it's a different game. It's the the physical versus intellectual task process. Maybe we need like a metaphorical task manager, you know? That would be cool. Your your mental tractor is out of gas. <laughs> Somebody's got to do maintenance, sharpen the saw, whole thing there. Yeah, exactly, you know? Maybe maybe that's that's what our our calling is is to to bring that app into existence. Uh, a HoloLens app, maybe. Virtual reality, augmented reality. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop this. We'll, we'll get it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking 2019. <laughs> so, yes, I rely on the productivity stuff to get things done. Otherwise, I won't get anything done. Yeah, I can I can definitely relate to that. I think that's um, that's something that's sort of true for me as well as there's, the, you know, there's these these people and I'm I'm in the category that kind of jump from to-do list to to-do list and app to app and you know I'm always trying to find the thing that fits my brain correctly um and it's really easy for me to 
to get sucked into a system for a little bit and really love it and then kind of fall off the wagon. I don't know if I am naturally super productive or not, but I am always looking for ways to become a little bit more productive. And I feel like if I keep finding those incremental ways, then I'll, you know, sooner or later get everything that I need to get done done. But it doesn't come naturally. Yeah, this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately with how do you make, say, your task manager a habit? Mm-hmm. I've had a couple of people ask me recently, like, how do you make OmniFocus a habit? Well, that's an interesting question because... You're, you're talking about how do I integrate an app into your lifestyle is, is really what you're asking. And if you aren't able to trust it, you don't use it. So if there's in an, even an inkling of something that you don't trust about it, you'll eventually not use it in some form, which degrades the whole thing altogether. And you end up, you know, like I would be if I was without it, having dumpster fires everywhere, as Josh Wrench has been telling me lately. So, you know, there's there's a lot of these things that they work well if you're able to integrate them into certain points in your day and stick to them. So, for example, like with with OmniFocus, I'm looking at it every morning and night. But a lot of times throughout my day, I'm not off of a task manager, which is kind of (laughs) counter to what some people think. But really what I need it for is just helping me to guide that day and set the day up. But inside that day, I've already got it. I've got it under control because I know what needs done that day. Does that make sense? I mean, you're you're really dealing with the habits that you're forming around what you need to do. Yeah, I, I think another part of it too is it has to be an enjoyable experience, at least for me. Which is, I think, the the real challenge is if it's not something that you you know have any incentive to open up every day, then you might not open it up. And it, it's it's hard to find the right balance of all of that. I think I'm still trying to to figure it out for what it looks like for my life. But yeah, I think it's the, you know, I mean, that that's the thing, isn't it? It's like the way that you work is different than the way that I work. And the way that I want to work is actually a little different than the way that I currently work. And that might be the same for you as well. And it's it's about trying to design a system that actually makes you want to, when you close the system, open it back up again the next day. You know, and if you don't have that, then you're probably not going to get as much done as you want to, or at least you're not going to enjoy it as much, which means you might not have the longevity that you otherwise would. Yeah, and I I think I've got to remove as much resistance to getting it open the next morning as possible. Like in my case, I've got a couple of them that just open up automatically. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I open my computer, it's six in the morning. The first thing that's going to pop up is OmniFocus, and I don't even have to touch it. Like, that's just the way it works. That's smart, yeah. I mean, do you think that that actually changes the way that you do it? Would you not open it, you know, on a certain day if you didn't have that? Well, yeah, because the problem I had and part of the reason I set that up was I would often, like, say here at the end of the day I'm working on a website. If I close that laptop and leave that website, the first thing I would see the next morning is that website. Mm. And my brain immediately jumps to, oh, what comes next? Like, I'm a problem solver. Oh, there's a problem. There's got to be something here I can fix. Surely I can go work on this. Instead of going through and reviewing the projects I've got going on and making sure that's the right move, it's usually not the right move, <laughs> yeah. which which means that if I leave it open that whole day or at least that next hour and a half is probably derailed or I at least have to do a bunch of brainstorming just to get it off my mind so I stop thinking about it. So yeah, it's it's a big deal to have that task manager be the first thing you see. At least for me it is. You used uh, You used the word resistance. Is that a war of art term? Oh yeah. Definitely. You're a fan of that book, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember that you read it a while ago. It's a, it's a classic. If you work in the creative space at all, it's required reading. Has it, has it changed the way that you think about the way that you work? Yes, easily. Easily. Because I, I know that I'm fighting for it instead of, instead of just hoping it comes around, I know that I have to go to work for it. So what does resistance look like for you? 
anything new and shiny. I, I love new projects. Whenever something new comes around, I jump on it immediately. So ah, uh, so you're you're that kind of person that you know if if you if you work on something for too long, it, it kind of ceases to be interesting, and you're you're looking for the next thing to to go towards. Which is why I do web development because I can build a website. Usually, like my web projects are done within a week, so they're not long and drawn out. If it's if it's a big project, I try to break it off into little projects and then do each little one. Because then they they become new and shiny each time. Okay, I like new and shiny. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 back to being interesting right. to you after a certain amount of time. Because the the whole thing is trying to solve the problem. Like I'm a problem solver, and I'd say that very intentionally with a lot of oomph, I guess. Because yeah, I, if I find something that's wrong, I want to go fix it immediately. And the more time I can spend trying to fix it, the better off. I am. So if I see a problem to be solved, I immediately want to go fix it. What is a what is a normal day look like for you? What do you what's the tools that you use and what's the process that you you go through? Oh, there's a loaded question. Um, well, give, give me give me a generic day. You know, a generic as, day as, okay. as generic as possible. Uh, so let's take let's take today for example because it was fairly normal. Uh, I'm up at five in the morning. Whoa! Yeah, okay. I like my mornings. Really? When if and when you have kids, you will understand that even more. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can't really just pick when your morning begins anymore, can nope. you? Nope. So, Unless you pick 5 a.m. Right. So I picked 5 a.m., and it's primarily because I know that that gives me two and a half to three hours before anyone else moves in the house. And that two and a half to three hours gives me time to get up, run through the shower, grab breakfast, go through some of my OmniFocus setup to see what's going on for the day. Clear out any inboxes I've got going on, papers that are sitting around, tasks that I need to do or process. Like, I've got all that. I'm a big GTD fan, so David Allen. So I'm clearing a lot of that stuff out before the day starts just to make sure I'm starting off on a good foot. And then once once I get through all of that, that's when I dive in. So usually that means I'm doing some of the creative side of building a website because as much as people think that websites are just code and writing code and very analytical, in my opinion, if you're getting beyond coding and getting into development, that's where the real creativity comes in. So there's a rant for the future mm. is coding versus development. Big difference, in my opinion. Okay. Interesting. So we'll, we'll note that down. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I, I do a lot of my heavy development work there at that point. The girls usually get up at, well, what time do we have their thing set? Quarter to eight is what we've got. We've got one of those, you wouldn't know this, but there's a, a clock called OK to Wake. Okay. And it, it looks like a little frog that sits there, but uh, it has a big globe, and the globe turns bright green at a time that you set for it. And the idea is that when my girls wake up in the morning, they can look at this little frog-looking thing. Okay. And if it's green, they know they can get up and come downstairs. If it's not, they know they have to stay in bed. How old are your kids? Uh, Emma is four, Rose is two, Hazel is five months. That's a, that's a spread right there. Yes, and they are active. I can believe that. <laughs> so once, uh, once they get up, it's time for breakfast. Get them ready, go through breakfast. It's usually about 9 o'clock once I have them. And I should know, I work from home. So it's easy for me to go up and down, that sort of thing. Minimal commute. Yep, yep. I've got seven steps up and down. <laughs> okay, wow. All it amounts to. Rare traffic. Yep. So we go grab breakfast. At 9 o'clock, I come back to work, do some development work or whatever it is I'm doing, client management, whatever you want to call it. Grab lunch at noon, 
come back. I usually I've been trying to take naps early afternoon. We Mike on uh, Bookworm and I we read the Sleep Revolution and it kind of screwed my head up with how I sleep. So that's the thing about books is sometimes you read one and it's like oh I should do that. I don't want to do that. Well let let's go down this little diatribe for a second. What does that mean? Screwed <laughs> it up? You feel like you uh, you need to change your habits or you are changing your yes. habits or you just think that you sleep terribly? I for a long time I was doing just under seven hours of sleep a night between from there to about seven and a half. That would be the most I would sleep in a night. Okay. I've learned that that's probably causing long-term problems for me. So that means that I need to either, one, sleep more at night, or two, take a nap during during the day. So I have tried to get myself to go to bed a little bit earlier in the night, which for me means working my way to bed at about 9, 9.15. And then that also means that because we have a five-month-old that she does not sleep through the night in its entirety, which means I get a little bit of a disrupted night. So taking a nap early afternoon helps me solve some of that problem. But that feels, and I understand that it doesn't, but it feels like I am losing out on a lot of time to get stuff done. Right. Is that in your uh, is that in your OmniFocus checklist? Take a nap? No, but it's on my calendar. Oh, oh okay. I think that counts. I, I, yeah, that, I did put it there. I don't always yeah. do it, but it is there. Huh, okay. How's that been going for you? <laughs> I'm like 50-50 on whether or not I do it. I got you. It's good days if I do it, but I don't always. I feel better if I do it. I know that I feel better, and I know that I do more if I do it, because I've tracked my stuff and my time enough to know that I can get that stuff done in faster and better. It just feels wrong. Maybe that's the farm coming out. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're supposed to be out in the fields during that period or whatever. <laughs> there you go. I mean, yeah, so, okay, so then you take the, what time is this? Is this the afternoon? Is this? Yeah, the... it's like 1 p.m. or so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that makes sense. I, I've always been someone who just doesn't really believe that anyone is really set up well to work from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. all the way through. I think that our we, we definitely see that degradation of productivity as the hours go by, unless we, we take actual breaks or, you know, make space for something else. But so are you a napper? Uh, no, I, I actually hate that concept very much, but <laughs> All right. but I understand. And I, I mean, I am definitely a person that, you know, finds ways to um, take take a moment to rest or relax or, or just stop thinking of something. Um, it, it's hard. It's hard. That's to, not easy to do. Yeah, I mean, well, and it, but it's also just not easy to, you know, get to 4 p.m. or whatever and feel like you're just at killing it the same way that you were at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something has to give, I think, and you know, some sort of rest is, is definitely a need. But, yeah, that's interesting. So then you take the nap. Yes. Will you wake back up? Wake back up. Now, I am I have done this for as long as I can remember, but if I lay down, so take at night, for example, if I lay down, I used to tell people that within two to five minutes I would be out, but my wife tells me that's a conservative number and it's better off at one to three. So Oh, wow. Okay. I'm one that, I, I don't know if it's just body control or what it is but yeah i can fall asleep very quickly and with naps it's not something that i can fall asleep that quickly but you give me around five ten minutes i'll be out and i'll sleep for about 20 minutes wake up and i'm good to go so i know that if i lay down it's 30 minutes tops and i'll be up ready to go again so i don't have to worry about the whole set an alarm thing which is kind of nice yeah that is i'm spoiled yeah that's pretty good so i'll take the nap get up do some more work. Uh, I was for a long time working till about five, uh, but I I 
have kind of stopped doing that lately because my client work has picked up enough that I jacked my rates up significantly Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get people to back off as far as how many people I'm taking on. So that's been kind of nice because then I can scale back on how much time I spend at work at the same time. So I've been scaling back, which means I get more time with the fam, which means less stress and all sorts of stuff. So I've been getting off at about 4, but I should note that I stop working at about 3.30. And that's when I wrap up, run through OmniFocus again, make sure I've got everything tied off, and then I'll do a little reading before I get off at 4. That's been a new part of your process too, or is that something you've been doing for a long time? Uh, the 30-minute thing I've been doing for about a year. That's a pretty common thing for me. It's the the moving it from 5 back to 4 that's kind of recent within the last week or so. Mm-hmm. So. Once I get done with that, I uh, go up, spend time with the family, grab dinner around 6.30, play with the girls. They go down, what is it, 7.30, quarter to 8, somewhere in that range. Grab a book, read for 40 by 45 minutes or something, and hit sack. That's a day. It's my day. It's just about the same day after day. The only difference that may come in is I go into our church and do some IT stuff there. I'm usually there all day Tuesday, but that's such a crazy off day that it doesn't really count. So. Most days I'm floating in and out here or there with uh, the church. Like I'll go in for a couple hours in the morning and come back. So it's our church is only, what is it, three miles from our house? It's kind of nice. Okay. So seven seven stairs, give or take. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, so it seems like for the most part you are in, in control of your own schedule. Oh, definitely. And I like I do the IT thing at church, and I also recently took on an IT job with uh, a local commercial building contractor, which is kind of fun because I like the whole construction thing too. But uh, they live uh, three minutes from my house. They live, yeah. They're residents <laughs> that they've taken up. Yeah, they all live together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all there. But, uh, you know, I do some stuff for them. But whenever I took that, it's – anytime I do something like that, it it, it has to revolve around my schedule. I'm, I will not get locked in. That's vital to me. So I like setting my own schedule because it means I can set how much time I spend with the family. Good things happen that way. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty particular about it. Well, that sounds like a pretty good day, man. Yeah, it's it's again, like I said earlier, I've I've with technology, I've kind of followed what I like to do, and because of that, I can set my own everything, I guess. So I'm I like it. It's a well designed life, I think. I like it. It's it's helpful. Do you feel like you would have difficulty working in an office every day, like a corporate environment? Uh since I came from Cubicle Nation and now I work in this world, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I would go batty. At the time, I thought it was awesome because I was around people a lot, and that there's a lot of value in that. And that's part of the reason I do the stuff at the church and with the commercial contractor so that I get around people and I'm not just staring at a screen all all day long. Yeah. And that that's that grounds me quite a bit, but I when I worked in the cubicle world, it just drove me nuts to have that many people that close to me and I felt like I couldn't focus. There was just too much going on. So there's no chance of you going back to that anytime soon. I will soon. avoid it at all costs. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yep. So there's my story. I think you've you've got me into the wall at this point. Now, yeah, now we know everything about you. <laughs> Your turn. Okay. Oh, okay. There's no, no questions, I see. Just, uh, I just have to start talking. Just go. So tell me about, because here's, here's the thing. With, with a lot of what I do, a, a lot of it revolves around spending time with the family, making sure I'm there for my girls, and teaching them as much as I can. And mm. I, I noticed, you know, we spelled out for the listeners here, we've got 
<laughs> we spelled out for each other, like, what's our work history look like? And what's what's all our past look like? And you've been heavy on this whole tech creative space. Is that something you've always had an interest in? Where does that start for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's like an, a little bit of a meandering journey. I uh, I actually always loved technology, and I actually always loved creativity and art. I think I had a big value for that as a younger person. I, I think it's it's hard for me to even consider myself a creative in a lot of weird ways just because of personal insecurities or that, that imposter syndrome that kind of comes up on us every once in a while because I don't necessarily see the things that I'm very good at as like those capital C creative tasks, but everything that I love and I do touches them. So does that make sense? It's like a weird, it's a weird side thing maybe, but re- regardless, I... I didn't really know what I wanted to do as a younger person, and I ended up going to college after I graduated high school for biology. And I, I always loved creativity. I always loved creative things. I just didn't think that that would ever be something that could be a career. So I went to school for biology, was going to do the pre-med route. Um, I got three and three quarters of the way through the entire biology degree, and then at the very last second thought, nah. And I, uh, I dropped it. <laughs> I dropped out of school. Yeah. So I got, I got super close. And then at the very end thought, no, nah, not for me. Okay. So, so if you're that close or do you have regrets for that? Or are you still glad no, that you did that? No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was a moment I had that, you know, kind of, Oh Lord, something needs to change moment <laughs> where yeah. I was in school, you know, taking these tests, the MCAT was coming up, all this stuff. And it just was becoming clearer and clearer to me that this was just not the thing that I actually wanted to do. And maybe a year earlier or something like that, a friend of mine had been considering going into some sort of just creative business for himself to kind of pay the bills. And uh, he was a a self-taught graphic designer, really a fantastic self-taught graphic designer. But he was also, let's just say he was not a people person. So (laughs) he had a hard time actually getting um, clients, which I think is true for a lot of people that are creative. Um, It's hard especially when you're learning, especially when you're growing to interface with people who are going to critique that work or ask for changes in that work. And, you know, it just, it's, it's two different kinds of personalities. So I actually went into business with him. We started a little graphic design agency in Tampa, Florida, and it kind of became something that was paying all the bills instead of just a side project. Nice. And I started doing work for this uh, nonprofit that I, uh, I really liked basically just kind of contract. They would need something done, so we would do it. And after I dropped out, they offered me a media role. So it was a nonprofit in church in the area of Tampa. They were doing some really cool stuff, and they needed somebody to work on media for them, and they, they gave me an opportunity. And it was really just this thing that I kind of stumbled into. If, if I could have really thought about as a younger person like what I wanted to do, this would have been it. So it, it worked out really well for me. I just didn't know it was it until, you know, it was too late and I had you just wouldn't admit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was one of those kind of things. But, you know, I remember being in high school and uh, maybe being a junior and senior in high school and being the only dude in the room that had a laptop while everyone else was taking notes on a, you know, pencil and paper or whatever. I was just always that person that was really interested in technology. Apple played a huge role in that because they made technology interesting to me in a way that, you know, different companies hadn't done before. I don't know what computer it was, but it was, I think it was earlier than a MacBook Pro, or it might have been the first MacBook Pro. What was before that? A PowerBook or something like that? You know, I don't remember what it was, but 
before or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it might have been the first MacBook Pro. I remember it had those, you know, big metal keys. They've they've moved away from that uh, over the years, of course. But it was a it was a large machine, and uh, you know, I just got really excited about it. And funny enough, this is just a weird thing that I didn't think about until like last year or something. I got totally obsessed with this product that somebody was making. Let's see if I can find it really quick. Hold on. It was like a MacBook Pro with a touch screen. Did you ever see this? A MacBook Pro with a touch screen. It was called the ModBook Pro. Hold on. The ModBook Pro. Here we go. Was this an Apple-sponsored thing, or was this a runoff? No. Oh, oh, God, no. You know, it's one of those <laughs> I was going to say, that doesn't sound wasn't. like anything they would do. I just, I just sent you the little link so you can see it. Oh, right. They basically just took the MacBook Pro and they turned it into a touchscreen product and they made it. They basically invented the iPad years before the iPad ever came out. And I remember I would look at this website all the time because there is something to me about, I I think even as a young person, I just really loved the idea of removing barriers between the work that I'm doing and, and actually being able to interact with it. And there's something about a touchscreen that does that for me. You know, you're, you're, you're literally tapping on the things that you're trying to work on. You're, if you're editing a photo, you're actually editing the photo. If you're drawing something, you're, you're drawing it, you know, on the screen as opposed to using a Wacom or, you know, using a, a mouse and making manipulations in Lightroom or whatever, whatever you might do. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's funny because these days I primarily use uh, my iPad Pro to do all the work. And I really use it because I just love it. I love things that feel seamless, that feel easy. And to me, this this mod book represented that when I was in high school. I, I never got one because they were extremely expensive. <laughs> I was going to say, they're not cheap. No, and I, I also don't know if I would have been satisfied with it, which is also part of why I never got it. Because, you know, it's putting a interface on top of an interface that it's not intended for. And this is why I made the jab at you earlier with the whole iPad only thing. <laughs> it's because I know you have an interest in this. Yeah. And it's interesting to me how many creatives get into, because I'm going to put you in that category, whether you want to be or not. That's fair. <laughs> it, it's interesting to me how many people who work in a creative space love using iPad only for the work that they do. And it, it's a different type of creativity, I think, with, than like what I do, because I consider what I do highly creative, but it's in a different form. Like I'm trying to put components together or develop components that allow other people to interact with it. And that to me is a very creative process. Whereas what you're doing is more on the media side. I guess that's maybe what I would call it. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but you know, words and pictures or in some cases, video, I guess, would be how that comes together in some form or another. Is that fair that to make that comparison? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think photography for me is always the, like, defining example of that. I'm somebody who has taken quite a few photos over the years. Um, I'm, I definitely am, am still learning the art of photography. But I would get very frustrated um, trying to edit photos on a MacBook. And, you know, I take all these photos, I'd import them into Lightroom. I'd open up the thing, there would be all of this chrome around the photo that I'd have to kind of manipulate and figure out, and um, this is maybe not necessarily an iPad versus MacBook problem, this might just be a uh, Adobe has slow, slow products problem, but, you know, I, even, even just like going through the photos, the, you know, the photos take a while to render, and all of it really just makes an experience that makes me not excited to edit the photo. But then now, I pop it on the iPad, 
And if I see something that I need to change or something I need to edit out or, you know, some, some small detail that needs to be fixed, I can literally just do it. You know, I could just touch that thing and, and make that modification. Or I can look at this big screen that it's the entirety of the screen is dedicated to the photo. And I can really, you know, consider it in a way that I found difficult on a MacBook. And so, yeah, I, I think that this is just my aspirational desires for technology showing is I, I really love stuff that makes it feel clear that the, the thing that you're doing can be given your entire focus. And it, it just, it works well for me. So it's something that I always love. I remember, I remember my first computer as a kid, you know, like some bad compact Presario or something like that, or, you know, just like a little bad, you know, Windows computer. A beast. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, I, but I, I loved it and I was really interested in it and I was always trying to think about it. And I got kind of into video games and um, I, I remember importing this little thing called a GP32 that was like this Korean portable system. And I loved it because you could put your own stuff on it and you could make little programs for it. I was never the kind of person that created the programs, but I was the person that wanted to look through the programs and sort through them and think of what's being made. And I just really love seeing things that feel open and just, just platforms that feel like there's a lot of dreaming that can be done with them. So in a way, I think Apple represented that for me in the creative spaces. This is a product that I can buy and it's going to help me be creative on the day to day. It's going to make me want to open a program. It's going to make me want to take a photo. It's going to make me want to edit a video. And that was really true over the years. I just started getting more and more interested in that. And Final Cut 10 came out a few years ago. And all the people that were, you know, professional video editors really hated it because it took away a lot of features. But I loved it because it took away a lot of features yeah. <laughs> so I could actually finally learn it, you know. Right. And I learned that program and got very good at it. And I started editing videos and I just started learning more and more about photography. And I, I just kind of found myself dabbling in different creative tasks that I never would have done before because I had a product that allowed me to and not only allowed me to but encouraged me to and that's been my journey so you know I'm still doing it years later but I still feel like that kid that was sitting in a high school you know classroom drooling over a, a mod book or whatever it just was interesting to me and I'm always interested in whatever's next because the next bit of technology could totally change my workflow again and, and like I look forward to that it, it sounds like we were talking about resistance earlier and it sounds like to me there's a lot of that that comes with your creative process and getting the tools out of the way. Like that's a lot of what I do with uh, writing code or scripts and such, you know, setting my MacBook up such that OmniFocus is <laughs> the first thing I see in the morning. Like those types of things I'm doing from a software standpoint, but you've done it sounds like from a hardware standpoint. Like getting getting the the tool itself such that it has you interested in working on your photography and getting some of that stuff out of the way like i don't want to use a mouse to do this just let me use my finger like that's that's a big deal yeah and i think that that's something that i'm really looking for is well, what's this going to look like for me to actually feel like it's the, the thing that i'm doing is no longer obscured because i think that's the thing and and you know that's going to be strange going forward in the future isn't it that not only is technology helping bring the creative work to the forefront but it's also going to end up automating a lot of the hard parts it's a lot easier to take a photo today than it was 10 years ago. And it was a lot easier to take a photo 10 years ago than it was 10 years before that. And the same thing's going to be true for almost every creative task as time goes on. Um, right now, it's a great skill to have to edit a video because it's a, it's a time-consuming, challenging thing. But sooner or later, the computer's going to be able to edit the video for you. Um, and that's going to make a big, that's going to bring about a big change. And I think some people are going to be scared of that, or at least not scared, but hesitant, because that's going to 
change some people's jobs, but I, I love it. And I think that it's, it's not too unlike that tractor that drove itself <laughs> because anything that, I mean, seriously, anything that does the work for you will allow the work to get out of the way and the creativity to take the forefront. And I think that's going to be a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's so true. And I also notice, you know, having kids, it's fun to see their perspective on the tech that we have. Like take, for example, my oldest, Emma, whenever, oh, when was this? It's probably been three, four months ago at this point. My wife was gone with our youngest baby uh, at kind of a girl's weekend down south. So I had the older two for the weekend. And our oldest, we were, you know, we did the daddy thing, grab a pizza, sit down, let's watch a movie, have some fun. Mom's not here, that sort of thing. And we we were watching a movie on Netflix and our internet provider dropped out. <laughs> and you don't think much about it. Like, okay, I'll restart the modem, make sure that's it, call them, let them know it's down, that whole fun rigmarole, uh, which doesn't happen too often, but it's annoying when it does. And my oldest wanted to know if we could go get a new internet at Walmart. <laughs> oh. oh, that's awesome. I love that. Like, can we just go get a new one? Like, let's just go, <laughs> like, we can fix it, right? Like, well, no. This is, and it's a, it's crazy to me. Try to explain the internet to a four-year-old. Like, it's not simple to do. Like, there's this interconnected world that brings all this together. Like, I don't know how to explain this to you. Like, that is so challenging when it doesn't work. And it's interesting to to me to see how, to see her perspective and to see how integrated this stuff is in her world. Like, this is just second nature to her. Like, what's the weather going to do tomorrow? I don't know. You just check it on your phone. I think I read a while ago that the internet was declared like a basic human right by the United Nations. Did you hear that? Oh, really? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's the state of change, right? You know, is that this thing that was something that I barely had when I was younger is now something that, you know, the world kind of declares everyone should have because, and I mean, I get that, don't you? I mean, it's like, it's the it's the world at your fingertips. It's it's an entire education in front of you, your face. It's it's everything. And I think that the fact that we have new generations that are growing up with it is going to change the way that we think about technology in general. Yeah, I think you and I are probably right on the edge of remembering the time before the internet. Right. And there's a lot of people who don't know that anymore. And the way I come at it with so much of this technology is with the intent of trying to, one, again, augment what I'm currently doing or enable new things. Like, I I build software. That's what I do is I want to make something completely different or develop something that hasn't been done before. Like, that's a lot of what I do. And yet, at the same time, I can remember those times when I was driving a tractor, it had zero computers in it, and it was not fun in comparison. Like, I've been on those old 4020s, if you're familiar with that world. Oh, yeah, the 4020. It's a classic. My grandfather made me sit on a tractor for an hour and learn how to shift that thing with it just sitting there. And that's not simple to do because it has the whole synchro system on it. We're going to get in overheads real quick there, but... <laughs> I, I don't know what a 4020 is. I have no idea. John Deere tractor. It's a classic. Okay. It was made in the 60s. It was. It changed the game for... It was it was one of the newest technologies that came out at the time, and it completely changed the way people did farming at that point. So it's it's a classic, it's a workhorse, and it's really hard to beat. They are worth more today than they were when they were made by a long shot. So I found one because I, I want one eventually, 
I got to get off of a third of an acre in town, though. That would make no sense. But, yeah, you know, if I was looking for one, you can find one that's old and beat up at the same price dollar-wise as what it was in the 60s, not accounting for inflation, which would end up meaning it's worth way more now, if that makes sense. If you can do the math there. Anyway. Yeah, totally. Now I'm off my 40-20 rant. But, <laughs> but things have progressed significantly in knowing what it's like to come from that world. To me, it has, like, I have a different view of it than what my daughter does because of that. Whereas she's going to be growing up thinking this is just normal, and it will be normal to them. My question is, is it all good? Because I don't know that it is, because I see some of my own ADD brain and know that in order to beat that, I have to get away from the tech <laughs> as much as I love it. That's the only way that I can beat that. And my concern is that with my kids, if I let them go really far down this path of using tech in everything from day one, what what does that do to their brains long term? That's that's the concerned parent coming out. What do you think? I I do think it has a little bit of a negative impact because I think that it drives people to having very little attention span, which I'm not against using it in all those scenarios if you have it balanced right with something else. Like in, in my case, I balance it with reading books heavily. Like I can sit down and read a book for three hours, no problem. Like I could do that. But a lot of kids I meet today can't do that. Like if I gave them a book and asked them to sit down and read it for five minutes and don't check or do anything else, they freak out. Like <laughs> a lot of folks cannot do that. That's my concern. Is that being able to sit down and hold focus for more than five minutes? I, I'm afraid that's disappearing. Yeah, I do think that that's a, you know, I mean, I feel that. I definitely feel that. And I think that that's something that is just changing over time is we're, we're starting to become people who are used to our worlds changing every minute, not every day or every week, you know? Right. Because before the internet, there was very little change on a rapid basis. But now, of course, you you go five minutes without looking at your Twitter and you can come back to a deluge of tweets, you know, right. over something that you, you missed because it's five minutes There's old now. It's a new or, meme now. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, but I think that sometimes that's genuinely important. I mean, maybe not the majority of the time, but sometimes there is that desire to stay current with what's happening or not, you know, miss out. And that's the thing about FOMO, right? You know, that fear of missing out is that it exists because it's real, because you do miss out sometimes. And um, yeah, I think that this the, the next generation, but ourselves as well as we adapt to what the world is becoming, are going to be responding to that fear more than ever before and trying to act on it. So yeah, I definitely think that that's a real thing. I think another one too that's an interesting thing is, you know, it just, when you rely on a piece of technology, like people can rely on a phone or whatever device they're using now, it just means that you don't have to rely on your brain as much as you once did. Like my, my own example is maps. I, I've never been the best at navigating the world. My wife does love to call me directionally challenged <laughs> when it comes to going around. But um, I don't know the city that I live in now at all because for six months I've just been using, you know, Apple Maps every time that I try to get from point A to point B. And some of these, what I'm sure are extremely simple routes I would have no idea how to get to without a map. And so I've offloaded that part of my brain that would have been dedicated to taking me around town to my phone. 
end, is that is that good or is that bad? I mean, I think it's kind of both. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think there's some benefits to using different parts of your brain for different things and what you would have to do with a map. Because, you know, this this is a good example because I'm very good at directions. So you and I are complete opposites on this. And quite often what I'll do is if I'm going to go somewhere, I look at the map ahead of time. And I usually don't need it after I hit the road. Like I usually don't have to do that. And I, I've, I've since I figured out why, you know, let's go back to the farm again. So when you're working a field, I grew up with farms that were in the hills, and that basically means that you can't see the whole field because it's over the other side of the hill. With scenarios like that, you're always going either around in circles or you're going up and over a hill or you're turning a lot, and it's very easy to lose your bearings on where have you been and where you've not been and how do I get back to the truck, how do I get home. Like All that stuff is vitally important. If you do that every day from the time you're a little kid until you graduate high school, your spatial awareness is so developed that it's very difficult to get me turned around. Like I can go into a big box store, walk all the way around in all kinds of different directions, and then someone can ask me, which way is north? And I can immediately point. Like I always know where my directions are. But that's primarily because I've had that. I, I have developed that part of my brain and at a level that I don't think I'll ever lose mm. because I continue to use it. But if I offload some of that, then, you know, there's a lot of facts that I don't try to memorize because Wikipedia, Google, like, why? <laughs> why would I try to memorize all this? Right. But I also wonder, because our, our memorized skills play into how we interact with life. Like, think about if you didn't have it memorized how to tie your shoes. If you didn't have that memorized and you'd have to look it up every time on how to do it, it would significantly slow you down, one, in getting out the door. And two, you would have a lot of scenarios where you're tying something that you would have to always be relying on an external tool to do. Maybe a good example for that is tipping. I see so many people pull out their phone to oh, right. calculate a tip. Right. And I never do that because I'm a math person too. So <laughs> I'm always doing those in my head. But some of some of it is speed. Some of it builds on each other. Like the the one example I've heard quite a bit is memorizing poetry, which to us today kind of seems ludicrous. Like, why would I memorize it? Because I can always look it up. But where it comes in highly valuable is if you've memorized a lot of poems and you're a writer, mm. you can start to pull off of those mentally without even knowing that you're doing that. Right. So there's some of that level of intricacy that's involved with our brains. Our brains are so complex. So that it's really hard to get your <laughs> hard to get your mind around how your brain works. So true. Let's go meta here. You get what I'm saying here. It, with some of these things that we've memorized, there is some value to that. But the question is, like to your point, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense for you to go to great lengths to develop spatial awareness when you have a map and you don't have a problem using a map and it doesn't create bigger issues for you. Like that doesn't make sense. It also doesn't make sense to go out and memorize Wikipedia, which, one, you'll never be able to do. Two, you've always got it at your fingertips, so why do it? Well, I mean, okay, here, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be real with you. Here's, here's a terrible story. This is, this is not good. But yesterday, I was going to see a friend who lives downtown. And my, my downtown is quite small. It's, it's maybe seven blocks. And I, for no reason, I just had nothing to do. And I thought, you know what, I should really know where his office is. I actually didn't know where it was. I just, he had like taken me there. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of those things where I didn't have the address, so I couldn't even put it in the map if I wanted oh, to. Yeah. But I thought, oh, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll figure it out. And Joe, it took me maybe 20 minutes to <laughs> f 
navigate this seven block area. <laughs> I probably circled it like 10 times before I actually found out where I was going. And it is, it can be frustrating because I think you can rely on your tools to a certain extent where once you don't have it anymore, you lose your ability to function. And I actually always try to not have that in my life. My iPad has been gone for the last month because um, the, the just the, the keyboard broke. So the iPad was fine, but the keyboard didn't work. And um, yeah, you know, I try to write every morning, and you can't really write on a keyboard that doesn't work. And so I just stopped using it, put it away, and started using my MacBook instead. And I thought, you know, man, I just really never want to be the kind of person that when a tool breaks, you say, oh, well, I guess I can't do the thing that I'm supposed to do because that can be really dangerous, you know? Right. And just as much as I'm a person who believes that it's really great to have things that eliminate friction, that eliminate resistance, that make you feel more passionate about the work you do, I also never want to be um, a victim of the opposite mentality where I need all of those things to do anything because, you know, if you came and you took a lot of my tools away tomorrow... I really hope, which that'd be weird if you did that. Please don't do that. But if, if you did that, Drew's going on a tech break, whether he wants to. Yeah, or not. exactly. Exactly. Sabbatical. Um, I would just hope that I could continue doing my work. I hope that I wouldn't stop taking photos and I hope that I wouldn't stop writing, you know, because those things should be important to us in a way that supersedes the way that we do the work. Um, but I think that it can feel like a, a slippery slope where sometimes that's not true and we stop doing what we do best because we just feel like it isn't optimal anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because this plays into my lack of a desire for like an activity tracker or an Apple watch. Like I, I have zero interest in these things because my concern is that those will become something I'm reliant on to tell me to get up and move. Like I, yeah. I don't want to rely on that. I'm active quite a bit as it is, but if I have that, and I start tracking it to that level. Now I'm trying to hit certain goals and I may not move at all unless it's reminding me. I just don't want to go down that path. I, I, I like my levels now. Yeah, I, I, that's a great example because I actually have an Apple Watch and I actually really think that it helped change my life. I was not particularly active. Um, I wasn't super unhealthy, but I wasn't really active before I had it. And you can even like, look, I have one of those, you know, scales that's hooked up to a oh, right, um, right, right. to my iPhone and like, the the day that my my weight and muscle mass started changing is the day the Apple Watch came out and I put it on my oh, wrist. Wow. And there was really something about that activity tracker that made me go from maybe 10 minutes of activity a day to 30 and made me really start putting that on my schedule. And now, I mean, I literally couldn't imagine a life without an hour at the gym every day. Like I've really just, it's become part of my routine to that point. But there was this weird middle area where I think that if, you know, something would have gone wrong and I would have, quote unquote, like lost my streak because every day you fill these rings on the Apple Watch yeah. and then, you know, you get congratulations. It's been 15 days or whatever. And there would have been a certain time. I really think there would have been where if I would have gotten up to a certain point and then lost the streak, I would have been more frustrated that I would have lost the progress. And it's it's a challenge. So for me, you know, I was able to make the Apple Watch work for me and I have it on my wrist right now and I still use it. I, I still log stuff in it. And, and on occasion, I do get frustrated with it when I like forget to click the button or, or you click a button that says outdoor walk. And then you actually have to click another button, you know, that says like start, yeah. or, you know? Yep. And so I've, I've on occasion forgot to click that second start button. And then I look down at my, my watch and it feels as if, yeah. you know, yep. and so I've, I've on occasion forgot to click that second start button. And then I look down at my, 
my watch and it feels as if all this progress I've been making for like 20 minutes has been for nothing. And and that's dangerous because that's not true. You know, obviously the work that I've been doing is real work. It was something that I actually did. But when it, when you get really focused on tracking it, um, it can feel like anything that's not tracked is time lost. And the place where I think this, where tracking at that level makes a lot of sense is when it's automatic. If I don't have to start it and it just does it, then I'm happy. <laughs> like, right. I have, what is the, what's the app? Sleep cycle. And then they have a, a counterpart life cycle, I think is what it's called. Oh, they do. I don't know what that one is. What's it's that one? a new one as of like a week ago that tracks, yeah, life cycle that tracks what you do during the day automatically. And it does the whole steps thing and all that. I don't think it has an Apple Watch app. It's just the phone right now. But I've been running that for the last week or so. I've been running Sleep Cycle for about a week now. Uh, And I like those because I don't have to do anything for them. They just do their thing. I mean, Sleep Cycle, I have to start it at night, but it's my alarm. So I won't forget that because I've always been doing that anyway. So that one I'm not too concerned about. but they track how well I sleep at night and they track what I was doing throughout the day, but I never have to do anything. It just knows it. It does the whole steps thing. It does the whole, where am I at during the day? doesn't kill my battery. I like that. So it's, I don't mind it when I'm, I'm getting tracking that I don't have to, I don't have to hit start. I don't have to hit go. I like those. How does it, uh, how does it tell you what you're spending your time on? Is it just based on where you are? Uh, it's based on, I think it's using the accelerometer to judge what the activity is. And then it's using the um, location of where you're at to nail down what it is you're doing or where, like what it is. For example, did I go to church? Did I go to uh, this building contractors? Like those count as work for me. So yeah, it's able to nail some of that down. It can tell if I'm biking. It tell if I'm walking or something. Uh, pulls in how much sleep I got and how well I slept. Uh, and then you can nail down, like, if it if it doesn't know what it is, it throws a question mark on it. And if you tap it, it tells you where you were, how much time you spent there. And you can tell it what the activity was, and then it will remember that and guess at it the next time around. I gotcha, yeah. So it, That's cool. it's kind of smart with it. It's I can't tell you if it's helpful or very accurate, because I haven't been at it long enough. Yeah. But it's interesting, at least. But I, I like that, because what you're saying, essentially, is that you like this app and you are using it where you haven't used other products because it's working for you, you know? Like, it's literally doing the work for you. And you don't need another thing to log. You want it to work for you. And that's the same thing for me with the Apple Watch. I have to do a little work for it. But in the end, at the end of the day, I feel like it's doing the work for me, and it's making me more productive. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend the Apple Watch to you. And maybe after you use this life cycle program for a while, you wouldn't recommend it to someone else you know, right. but you don't feel like you don't think that they need their life to be tracked so specifically. But each person has this different way of working. And I think that's, you know, something that both of us are really fascinated by is just the, the concept that the way that you work and the way that I work will always be different because we do different things and our brains work differently and the things that motivate us are different. But I think that we can also at the same time like learn from each other and learn from the ways that both you work and you don't work. And I don't know. I just I think it's such a fascinating component of technology as a whole. And I think that we are in the process of watching it become something that's more and more important because for a long time, technology was focused on function and function only, you know, and now we're starting to get more into the specifics of the how of the function. And there's enough space where 
there is no best task manager. Yes, there is. Because the best task manager is depend. Oh, uh oh, oh god! <laughs> uh, I picked I picked the wrong one. I picked the wrong one. What's what's let, let's 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 change topics to something. There's there's no best uh, calendar. There you go. There's no best. Okay, yeah, there we go. There's no best calendar because the best calendar is the calendar that works right for you. You know, I mean, that's another one. Is you know, there's there's Fantastical, which I use because it has like the human language input. Um, but there's also uh, that really great one. Um, is it by Moleskin? Is that how you even say their name? Uh, it depends yeah. on who you're talking to, but that's okay. what I call it. You know, they have they have a really great calendar application that's like beautiful and really interesting to look at and has all these details. Um, but it just depends on who you are to to figure out which calendar is the one that you should be using. And I, I see that a lot with my wife. Actually, my wife is like the most non tech savvy person that I know. That's awesome that the two of you are together that way. Yeah, and it, yeah, and but it, it really works out well because I think that I would kind of be maybe a little annoyed if I had married somebody who was constantly into technology and always wanted to talk about it with me because you know maybe I, I like I don't know how I don't know how it plays out but I feel like it's good to have someone who balances me out in that area but there's a lot of things that I use every day that I would never recommend for her uh, just because I know that either she wouldn't use it or it just wouldn't be right and then every once in a while I find a piece of technology that I would never want to use, but I instantly recommend to her because, you know, we just do things differently. Like a funny thing is for a long time, she's been trying to get her schedule situated and think about a way to like really keep things on tabs. And the thing that she's been using now for like, oh, I don't know, probably longer than six months, probably almost a year at this point. The thing that she uses every single day, the thing that she loves is a little note in Apple Notes that has her entire schedule for like months. Wow. Like she just writes Monday and then 1030 and then she writes a thing. I mean, obviously that's very simple. It's not that much different from having a piece of paper in front of you, but I'm just baffled because it's like, dude, there's so many different pieces of technology that you could use to fit this. You right. know, There's so many ways to do this. There's so many ways to automate it for you. But at the same time, that's the right way for her because it's the thing that she opens up every day. And if I would have, you know, given her fantastic cal or or made her use the calendar or something she might put everything in it and it might take her less time to put everything in it and it might be more searchable but she might not look at it right and then if she doesn't look at it what's the point you know she doesn't want to search it she doesn't want to search it. she doesn't want all those features she just wants something that she yeah. can open up and write a thing down and then look it up later you know and that's all that she needs yeah. so you know that's the thing is and that's the cool thing about technology is we're at a point in technology where there are different options for different people and i think that's really beautiful and i think that it's our our, I, don't know, I was going to say responsibility, but that feels a bit harsh. <laughs> it's our the, 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 the thing that we have to do now as productive people is find out the things that are right for each of us. You know, yeah, because I, I working in the productivity space and writing in it quite a bit, and I, I joke with the task manager thing, but I, I definitely recommend things other than OmniFocus to people quite frequently. But the thing that most people do in the productivity space is they are very adamant that you should never use your email as a task list. They they absolutely destroy people who recommend that well destroy me because i've recommended that to my wife because my wife mm. hates having a lot of emails in her email inbox so she's always archiving them and deleting them well i introduced her to the app drafts because you can just tap the icon and start typing right away and yeah. set her up with an action because she's not a tech person at all it's it's very fun to not <laughs> to not share that but I set drafts up such that she can type things in, hit an action, and it automatically sends her an email with that task because she will then have it in her inbox and it will drive her nuts that it's sitting in her inbox until she does it. <laughs> and she won't delete it until she's done the task. So 
you know, she's a stay-at-home mom, so she doesn't have a thousand different things that she's trying to manage. They're bigger things, but they're also not time-sensitive. So it's very interesting that she can use her email to do that. Well, and even you brought up the app Drafts, which, you know, I know a lot of people love, but that's another great example of it. I actually can't ever figure out Drafts. (laughs) I have tried to use Drafts, like, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 times at this point. I've re-downloaded it over and over again. I've put it in my little, you know, home row on my iPhone. I've done a lot because it seems like it seems like something that I would love. You know, it's frictionless. Right. It, you know, it just lets you, you know, get text in fast. Um, but for some reason, there's just a, a barrier between the way that I work and the way that I think and the way that drafts is set up. So, yeah, I mean, it just is it's a, it's a great example of that. You know, I love. drafts. Yeah. And I mean, that's not a that's not me saying anything <laughs> bad about drafts because it's a great program. It sounds like you want it to work. It just doesn't. I really <laughs> wish it would work for me. Yeah. And there's nothing else like it, because no matter what little notepad I have, uh, there's a little bit of friction between opening the notepad and getting to a new note or whatever. But yeah, it just I don't know. It just doesn't work. It's not the way that my brain works and but that doesn't mean that it's bad or that doesn't mean that no one else should use it it just means that i need to find the thing that works for me and you need to find the thing that works for you so i don't know i think that's an interesting concept i think we have some interesting discussions to have over these next weeks or months my friend i'd like to know more about the fact that you once told me that you barely use an iphone which weirds me the heck out yep yeah my iphone is used for very little anymore Mm, that's very strange (laughs) and you know that you're you know that's not normal, oh, right? I'm you very aware. I don't are. claim to be normal at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's, I, I think that's really cool, though. You know, and I think that it's it's interesting that we're living in a world now where both the things that you and I do can be very different. It can actually have very little overlap, with the exception of writing. But both of them are are inherently creative tasks that require a lot of technology. And that means that we both come at different things in different ways and have different processes in place. But they're 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 functional all the same. I, I get fascinated hearing people talk about how they do things and why. Maybe more the why than the what, because I think that it's helpful to see the rationale behind somebody's choice. And it it can create a bit of the the empathy side of things where you can relate to that person and understand how they came to their conclusions which then plays into your own brain and how you connect your own dots and how you put your own systems together, which is why I think these conversations can be fun because we can talk through why and how we do things, which can then, you know, do the whole sharpen the saw thing, as Stephen Covey says, and build off of each other and get better at what we do. And hopefully for people who are listening to this, it's something that they can do the same as well. I don't know how many times I've heard people on a podcast talking about the tools and how they're using them and why they're using them that way. And the next thing I know, I'm doing the same thing. Right. Like, oh, it's so interesting. So I, I think there's a lot of value here and I'm, I'm excited about it. It'll be a good time. Yeah, I think so too.